All right, welcome everybody to episode one of the Revolve Recap. It's the first one, David. This episode, as in all the episodes, we are going to look up, look in, and look out. And just kind of look at how we as Revolve Church can glorify God in our disciple-making efforts. And uh, so yeah, so what what are we going to learn about today, Bill? Well, we're going to learn about a lot of stuff, but before we do any of that, we have a personal question. Now listen, I use the day one, this isn't a sponsored post right now, Dave, I just want you to know that I use the day one journaling app. Uh, I've been using it probably for about the last five or six years, and every day they give you a daily prompt, and I don't use the daily prompts because often they're just completely irrelevant, which I thought would make it completely relevant for our podcast. And so today's daily prompt is, do you exercise at least twice a week? Uh, I I do not, which may come as a surprise because I look like a physical specimen of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> epic proportions. <laughs> what about you, Bill? Do you exercise twice a week? Well, um, yeah. So Gene and I have been working out together since the kids were back at school. So that's been good. We probably work out four times a week or something like that. I'm sure you could tell by my biceps. All right. Well, we so what are going to do? Is that what you're asking? Yes. What are we talking about today? Listen, we're why gonna... should people listen to this? Oh well, people should listen to this because they love us, and they love our banter, um, but also because we're going to look a little bit deeper into Levit- Leviticus 13 and 14 today. Kind of recap some of that. We're going to um, unpack some of the stuff that's been happening midweek during the book club on discipling. Share a couple stories from our ministry partners and some outreach opportunities that happened in the last week. And um, and they get to hang out with us. All right. Well, we are going to get started, and uh, so stick with us, and we are going to get right into it as we look up at what God is speaking to us through the book of Leviticus. All right. Well, let's see. Let's start with the sermon overview. So last week... We were learning about um, leprosy and what that has to do with sin and sin within our own lives, but also sin within the church and how we deal with that uh, in a healthy way. Yes? Yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's a good summary. Um, You know, this is building upon everything we've been looking at in Leviticus related to what we would call... um, kind of a, a Hebrew or ancient Near Eastern understanding of spiritual geography. Um, you know, you have this idea in the Bible that there's this sacred space. So we see this first in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is sacred space where God walks with Adam and Eve unhindered. And then when sin enters, there's like this corruption, pollution that begins spreading and it infects everything. And so sacred space is essentially removed as God removes them from um, from his presence in the garden. And so the whole, one of the big meta-narratives of the scripture is this unfolding of the restoration of sacred space. And we see God's finger of sacred space touching down when he, you know, he talks with Noah, he talks with Abraham, and he, he meets Jacob um, on, you know, with this, this uh, dream of Jacob's ladder and so on and so forth. And so then that sacred space is more formalized in the tabernacle, which is what we're unpacking 
in Leviticus, and then eventually that becomes the temple, and then of course it becomes Christ who dwells among his people as Emmanuel, God with us, and then that is finally consummated when um, when God makes all things new, and we see that the, Rev- the book of Revelation ends with saying that God dwells among his people. And so this idea of the restoring of sacred space, and so in Leviticus we're looking at cleansing sacred space so that God can stay among his people, and his people can stay among him. And so you just think of it like someone's just constantly power washing a little area with blood. So one of the things that our family did is the discussion that we had, uh, I'd say last night after dinner, just kind of re-talking, uh, re-reviewing and talking about the sermon, is just looking at our own lives, looking at our own family as, you know, as that sacred space and, you know, and praying through, you know, what is... What are areas of sin and areas of weaknesses that aren't glorifying to God, you know, within our home and within our parenting and, you know, just looking at things like losing our patience with our kids or, you know, um, you know, kind of flying off the handle and screaming. I kind of feel like what may happen in this podcast is our wives may get really angry with us, either one for being foolish, which kind of feel like happens every Sunday. Yeah. What's number two? Sharing personal sins. Gina hasn't sinned since 1984. Really? <laughs> and Bill has lied in the last 20 minutes, <laughs> seconds. But uh, but no, I think it's it's important to, you know, to express these are things that we're all, you know, chewing on. And there are no perfect parents in the, in the church. And, and we are kind of working through that as well. And yeah. uh, but our home, <clears throat> our life, our home... Uh, our church—that's all sacred space, and we want to—we want to keep that pure. Yeah, because the people of God are sacred space now. You know that our our innermost um, being has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and that space has been prepared so that when the Holy Spirit dwells within us, which happens upon salvation, um, now we are sacred space. And of course, as we gather together, that sacred space is even more pronounced. And so there is a sense in which your family, even though you may not identify as, quote, the local church, it's still this, the m- most micro manifestation of the, this sacred space of the church, because you have your family, you know, you're from your, from your home outward, as opposed to from the big to your home. And so, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Another thing that was discussed uh, on Sunday, and then we also talked about it at the book club on Wednesday was this idea of church discipline and how we don't often uh, see that. Do we want to yeah. bring anyone up on right now? Well, I mean, I did have some <laughs> things I wanted to talk with you about. Thank you. No, I think that, um, I think that church discipline is a theme here that we, that it may not seem very obvious, but I do think there's a, a real metaphor between the way that the lepers, um, or the stones, maybe even more so the stones and the laws for cleansing houses in Leviticus 14, we see this idea that if you have, uh, within the home, if you see this stone that has mold on it, it needs to be brought outside the camp. And the reason is to protect the house. We don't want this contagion to spread. And so I think when you look at that broadly, and then you compare that to the idea of church discipline, which we see in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians and Titus and elsewhere, um, we see this idea of church discipline isn't about 
punishment. Church discipline is about protection, about protecting God's house from the spreading contagion of sin. Um, and then the goal of it is not, again, it's not punishment. The goal is restoration, you know, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, to, to restore the brother who repented. And so I, I do think there that same, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the idea of the spirit of the law and how you see even in the, the bodily discharge chapter, you saw this idea that God's um, heart is to provide a way for cleansing. His heart is to provide a way for restoration. And it's the same way here with the leprosy chapters, that God's heart is the same, you know, that this isn't God being cruel, this is God being loving by being merciful to protect his community, his covenant community, to protect um, individuals, but then also to provide a way for restoration. And so we see the mercy and grace of God as present in this. And I think, you know, to continue to use, uh, you know, metaphors that are, you know, used throughout the Bible is to look at the the family metaphor, you know, as a as the church, as the body, we are uh, a building. We ourselves, you know, are the are the tabernacle, and you know, the stones that make up the tabernacle or the or the temple. <clears throat> but we're also the family, you know. So if you discipline your family, um, you know, your child, or uh, you know, or even you know, have to rebuke or correct correct your wife or something like that, it's all done out of love and with the main goal of restoration. Yeah, of maturity. Yeah, when we when we say we, quote, punish our kids, um, you know, you don't do it to be cruel unless you're a bad parent. You do it because you don't want your, you know, toddler to keep running into the street or something like that. And so we have good intentions. And, and that's what, you know, the author of Hebrews says when he says that, you know, a, a father disciplines his kid because he loves them, um, you know, not because he's a mean, a mean guy. You know, there's a couple other things, if you don't mind, that I wanted to mention from Leviticus 14. I think there's some cool parallels, which we did not get to count, uh, to consider or comment on, just for the sake of time, um, this past week. And that's really, again, in the law of cleansing housing, of cleansing houses, rather, we see some of these kind of cool uh, parallels. You know, it says in verse 40 of chapter 14, the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. Um, and talking about taking these diseased stone, disease stones and taking them um, outside the city. And I was thinking about that and praying about it and reflecting on it, and I was just reminded that Jesus is referred to as the stone that the builders rejected, and but he becomes the cornerstone. And so we also have this uh, New Testament idea that Jesus became a curse because anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And so Jesus essentially becomes this... Um, this stone that gets tossed aside because the he gets placed with all of our sin and the curse of sin upon himself. And Hebrews 13, 12 touches on this when it says that Jesus suffered outside the city. You know, the idea that Jesus is being crucified outside the camp, looking back at the old covenant. And then he becomes this new cornerstone of this new temple that's built. Um, because actually, actually the, old, the old house is left desolate. And, and that's, again, what we see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We see this idea, and also in Matthew 24, Matthew 23, this idea where um, Jesus is saying to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, for example, he's saying, um, I see this in you, I see this sin in you, and if you don't deal with it, I will snuff out your lampstand. 
And so in other words, if you don't deal with this contagion of sin, the fact that you tolerate the teachings of the Nicolaitans or you tolerate Jezebel, you know, looking at these big picture ideas of tolerating sin, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to remove your lampstand. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to shut your church down um, because these things have to be um, dealt with or they will be destructive to the church. And then he's going to declare their house desolate. And so we do see, I don't think this is a forced metaphor is the point. I think we see this metaphor as pretty clear um, within the uh, what we would call world metaphors. So There's like these big world metaphors, like you said, about the house, you know, or or the stones or whatever it might be, family. So I think this also will um, reiterate what we're often, what we drive home a lot at Revolve, is this idea of having uh, a knowledge and understanding of the whole narrative of the Bible. Yeah. You know, we can't just look at these one singular sections in different parts of the Bible, but really look at the whole part of the Bible and how the Old Testament and New Testament talk to one another. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, rem- I when I think back on my time in seminary when I was doing my Master's of Divinity, um, I think that probably my Bible introduction classes, which was like a semester on Old Testament Bible introduction and a semester on New Testament introduction, where it was basically looking at this is what this book is about, this is the big idea of it, this is the theme, this is how it ties together. I think those were probably among the most important classes that I ever did. You know, and we tend to think that we need to really get into these, the nitty-gritty of this or that and tear apart these specifics, but that doesn't really help you if you don't have a big picture understanding of things. And uh, just parents, that's one of the reasons why I really love um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I think the Jesus Storybook Bible does a great job of unpacking that meta-narrative. So I know it's not really this uh, section of our podcast. We'll talk more about it in the uh, in the future. But if you want to learn more about that, hermeneutics would be a good yeah. thing yeah. to get into. Yeah, we'll definitely comment back on that. Um, and you know, just another thing that came to my mind, I'm sorry, is uh, there's another Bible, if you don't like the Jesus Storybook Bible for whatever reason, called the Big Picture Story Bible by David Helm, H-E-L-M. And that's another really good meta-narrative understanding of the Bible. All right. So, Bill, do you want to move into uh, some questions that maybe people have sent you this week? Yeah. Um, trying to think here. You know, I, I did get one question very clearly from someone who basically asked, um, why don't the um, Israelites or why don't Jews um, sacrifice any longer? And so, in other words, why don't we see Jews dealing with these two birds, you know, dipping birds in blood and stuff like that? And the answer is because PETA would be really upset. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, um, the, the real issue at hand is because the temple is no longer in existence, you know, which is something that the um, Jewish people are constantly looking forward to. They want to see the temple rebuilt, restored, if they're Orthodox. Um, and that's and you might say, well, that's not a big deal. But it is a big deal because I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, says that um, the Jews were commanded to worship in the city in which God would place his name, which is becomes Jerusalem. And what we see happening in the book of 1 Kings is the northern kingdom splits off from the southern kingdom. And then the northern kingdom begin. That, that was actually tolerated to an extent by God. But the problem is that the northern kingdom decided they wouldn't go to the southern kingdom 
to worship, and they established their own central central place of worship called Bethel, or Bethel, and um, and they start worshiping there, sacrificing there instead of sacrificing in Jerusalem. Or it says that they sacrifice on the high places. So in other words, they would go. There was maybe a totem pole on top of this hill, and they would be like, "Well, we worship, you know, God and not." Baal, but we're going to go and sacrifice over there because it's closer. And um, that becomes a point of condemnation and, and judgment from God. And so the Hebrew people were supposed to worship in a very particular place, and it was the, the temple or the tabernacle and then the temple. And so once the temple was destroyed, you know, then sacrifices stopped, then they rebuilt the temple and things were reinstituted, but then it was destroyed again and then rebuilt and then it was destroyed again in 70 AD um, by Emperor Titus. And so since that point in time, um, there's no official place to worship in that capacity. Now, uh, just to kind of ask a follow-up question to that, now what about um, the celebrations and the holidays, you know, Yom, Yom Kippur and those types of things? Do they still, I mean, those are still celebrated now? Yeah, I don't... You know, I don't know if all of them are still celebrated, to be honest, but I know that there are cer- certain things that are definitely celebrated. You know, Yom Kippur is um, is clearly separate, ce- celebrated, and those things are celebrated within the local synagogue. And so after the temple, actually after the exile, when the Jews became dispersed around the um, ancient Near East and then into Europe and, um, you know, throughout Asia Minor, the synagogue became developed. You know, and this is a, probably a longer conversation, but the synagogue became developed, and you started to have a decentralized understanding of worship, and so because there was no temple, and so the Pharisees became like the local synagogue rulers, where the priests were the rulers of the central place of worship in Jerusalem, and so um, yeah, all of that kind of developed. But in terms of which specific festivals are continued or not continued, I would just be shooting in the dark. But a lot of them are still continued, like Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, you know, and things like that. Wow, that was really, that was really uh, fancy. I'm a gentleman and a scholar. Wow. Uh, all right, so if you have questions after the sermons, uh, we encourage you to, you know, write them down. Uh, you can put them in the gift box in the back. You can give them to uh, one you of us. Did you say the gift box? The gift the giving box. The what? gift box. The gift box. I mean, it's a, a gift box would imply that you take something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like the gift shop where like you leave your shop, children. Where we leave our kids. Because gotcha. they're blessings. They are. And if you want to take them, you probably shouldn't. Because that would be kidnapping. <laughs> yes. Um, which is breaking uh, the Ten Commandments. So if you have any questions, you know, uh, let us know so we can talk about them uh, in this, on this podcast, which is one of the goals of the podcast is to be able to answer questions that you have. And if we don't know the answer, we'll make it up. Yeah, yeah, like pronouncing Yom Kippur or Yom Rosh Kippur. <laughs> So uh, what, are we, what are we reading this week, Bill? Yeah, so this coming Sunday, um, which, what day is this Sunday? Yeah. 27th, 26th, 20, something like that? 28th, because it was... Val- no, 27th, because Valentine's Day 27th. was on Monday. Yeah, this coming Sunday is the 27th, and we will be looking at Leviticus chapter 16, which is the um, the central chapter of the book of Leviticus. It's actually um, a, the really the central chapter of the whole Torah, 
uh, with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So no pressure, um, but it's the Day of Atonement. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Covering, um, literally, uh, the Day of Atonement, this idea of atonement satisfying a, a, a payment. And so uh, if you're preparing for Sunday, you should read Leviticus 16, for sure. You should also consider reading Hebrews 9 and 10. Um, because you have Leviticus 16 in terms of the Old Testament understanding of this is what Yom Kippur is all about, and then Hebrews 9 and 10 unpacks from a new covenant, from a post-Jesus perspective, looking back about how we should understand Yom Kippur in light of Jesus as the Messiah. Which is actually pretty cool, because um, I'm doing a reading through the Bible plan that reads Old Testament New Testament throughout the Bible— and that's going to be about where I am, because I read Hebrews 5 this morning and Leviticus uh, oh, cool. like 11 and 12. So if you're reading through the wow, Bible in one that. year, you're right on, right on schedule with that as well. It's like whoever did that reading plan planned it that way. Well, you didn't plan it. I didn't say that I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> somebody was, was very tricky. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick little 10, 15 second break. To stretch our legs, you should do the same, and we're going to come back and look at how we connect uh, inwardly as the family of God. So we'll be right back. All right, well, welcome back to uh, the Revolve Recap podcast. I'm still David McCumber. I'm Bill. <laughs> so we are going to look at um, what we've started. How long ago did we start the book clubs? Mm. You know, we started them over the summer when we went through R.C. Sproul's Everyone's a Theologian book, I think probably in like May or June, something like that. And we just continued it. People really seem to connect with it. It's been a, a good thing. Yeah. So uh, this, this um, month or for the last few weeks, we've been going through the book called Discipleship that I've been leading, and um, it's been really, really good. Bill, do you have any questions for me about that? I do, that? David. I do. Um, I guess you've gone through two weeks so far. Um, yes. Can you tell us about what are some of the highlights for you as, as a teacher, as a leader? Yeah. You know, as the discipling connoisseur. <laughs> I think uh, what has been cool is the amount of people... See, we have a lot of our discipleship groups are segmented just by location, um, where they are in life. You know, we have a lot of young families in groups, or we have, you know, retired people in groups, or I don't want to say old people. Wow. But... <laughs> seniors. Seniors. Retired. Fireside. Double ARP. Yes. Ger so, geriatric. So we... Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> so... Mature. The book clubs have allowed uh, a more diverse... Um, span of our of our church, but we see that on Sunday morning. But being in a smaller group, uh, it gives more opportunity for interaction. So I think that has been a neat thing to observe. Is just you know the different. Um, it's like a more accurate cross segment. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so just everyone sharing, you know, where they are in life and what discipleship is, you know, for for their particular uh, place in life has been cool to observe. So I, I've enjoyed that. And I think a really big one, 
and we really try to push this with Revolve when we do, if you've ever taken the hub class and, and have had a conversation with uh, Bill or myself, is really um, driving this idea of, uh, of culture, not mm-hmm. program. And I think people are starting to, it's, I, I saw it click last week where people are, are realizing that it's not, discipleship isn't, isn't the hub. It isn't yeah, so, an eight-week course. So give, give me, when you talk about discipleship as culture versus a program, you know, like unpack that for us. So, so when most people think of discipleship as program, and so when people think of discipleship, in your opinion, what do you think comes to the mind for most people? I think people think of a um, of a Bible study, okay. of of um, you know a weekly meeting, right? That may. But go... I mean, discipleship happens there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would then... say a part. So we gave you know the definition of discipleship that we've agreed upon in the book club is helping someone to follow Jesus better. So what does that look like? That looks like Sunday morning. You know, you as the pastor, as the elder, are helping people follow Jesus better because you're learning deeper biblical truths. About bodily discharge. And leprosy. Yeah. And how much you love Braveheart. It's really helping. Yeah. And, uh, but... And that happens within our discipleship groups as well. We have, you know, accountability. Um, we have Bible study. We have, you know, living out the one another's. So mm-hmm. helping one another, bearing one another's burdens and all that. So, but I think, you know, what people are realizing, and I think what's being communicated in the class is just every interaction we have is an opportunity for discipleship. Okay. And that's what, that's what the culture is. That's me and you hanging out. We drive to Lowe's to get some wood. But as we're driving, I say, Bill, what's God teaching you? And that's the conversation we have. And that's discipleship because you share uh, an issue that you're having. And then I share scripture and I share uh, my experience based off scripture. And that's a discipleship relationship versus two idiots in a boat. Yeah. And then we take the lumber and we build... (laughs) We build a manger because yes. it's discipleship. Yes. And I do, a, you know, one thing with doing a podcast or having things like this is you can't share inside jokes. So I have to let people in on the inside joke of two idiots in a boat. Oh, yeah. So that was, if you go to Revolve, you'll notice that Bill often will say things from the pulpit that make his wife cringe. And one time he just said, you know, in a discipleship relationship, we have to be speaking the gospel. We have to be speaking scriptural truths to one another, uh, not just be two idiots in a boat, which is referring to you know a fishing buddy or a drinking buddy who just commiserates with everything that's going on. But in a discipleship relationship, we're hearing that we're commiserating. We're hearing that we're you know being empathetic to to the plight, but at the same time we're saying well. You know, well, what does Romans one uh, eight one say about that? You know, yeah, and uh, it's you no know, condemnation. Bro. Yeah, no, bro, just because you lost that flounder. Yeah, but uh, but it's speaking scripture and truth and the gospel into those conversations. So I think that's something that people are picking up that it's it's that's not a program. Culture. That's, that's the, the culture. culture. Yeah. So so the idea that people tend to think of discipleship as like a set time. I get discipled between one and two p.m. 
yeah. during this lunch break where I meet with my coworkers. Yeah. And that is discipleship, but discipleship doesn't start there and doesn't end there because when I am driving home from gymnastics with my kids and they tell me about something that happened in the class and I'm speaking the truth into that, that's discipleship. Yeah. Or when um, you know I'm stressed and my wife offers to pray with me, that's discipleship because she's, she's reminding me of God's truth in that moment. Yeah. And so it's really just um, like our friends in Southeast Asia would say: it's living out loud your love and faith, your love for God, and you know your faith. And and when we do that, we disciple the people around us. Yeah, and that's an intentional thing we have to do. Right. You know, you have to be intentional about that because if we're not intentional, that's where it just becomes a drinking buddy or mm. someone who just wallows in the mud with you. You know, because yeah. we have enough people in the world that will agree with us that we're mad about Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's super easy to just complain to your friends and for have them to just be like, oh, man, that stinks. Yeah. But it takes a real friend. I mean, Proverbs says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And so it takes a real friend to say, hey, look, you, you vented for a minute, like I hear you, but what does the gospel say about this? Yeah. And then, and then they slap you because nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> um, but they, and then, and then further to take that a little step further is that we can't speak um, truths and gospel truths to people if we're not being filled. Mm. So there's an important element of that of we need to be in the Word, we need to be studying. God needs to be filling us so that we can then pour into others. So if you, uh, for those who haven't read the book Discipleship by Mark Dever, or and they're not in the book club, um, even though we probably have about like 20% of the church in the book club. Um, if if they aren't reading it, haven't read it, could you summarize the first week in like two, three sentences, like the big takeaway? Uh, yeah, so we talked about, I'm trying to think the first week. I think the first week we just talked about um, your circle of influence. Mm-hmm. What is, people are observing us, we are discipling whether we like it or not. You know, people are learning about Jesus from us, and are we an accurate representation of that? Mm-hmm. And we all have that circle of influence, and they may overlap slightly, but uh, but God has put us in certain places, and my circle of influence is different than, say, Steve's circle of influence or Breton's circle of influence. Right. So I say that would be the first week. And then last week we talked about discipleship uh, within the local church, and that discipleship um, doesn't necessarily... So outside, you know, we can disciple people pre-conversion, and then... But once they're baptized and they're a part of the body, they need to kind of fall within the structure of the local church. So, um, you know, dealing with church discipline... Uh, giving uh, the ordinances, um, being led by elders' teaching. So the idea of of discipleship happens within the umbrella of the local church. That you can't just be like a lone ranger Ranger. who's out there. Yeah. So I wasn't able to be there last week, but I was there for most of the first week. And one of the activities that we did, um, which is something you could do at home, you know, if you're looking for some homework is just get a piece of paper and write on the top of it um, or across the, you know, make it landscape and write live, learn, work, and play as like four big columns. 
and then just think about a normal week for you and make a list. Like who are the normal people who you interact with where you live? Um, that's your family, your neighbors. You know, who do you normally interact with uh, at school where you learn? Um, who do you normally interact with at work? And what about when you participate in hobbies? You know, whether that's going to the gym or pottery class or whatever it might be. And then you begin to get a good snapshot of your social circle and you, you realize these are the people who I have influence over. If I, um, you know, if I go to archery club with Robin Hood, then I got influence over Robin Hood and I need to remember that, be intentional about the words that I say without being a weirdo. Like, yeah. You know? Be like, you know that the... Little John. You know that the Proverbs say that the words are like arrows. Once you send them off, you can't get them back. Can't get them back, Robin. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, uh, so, uh, so that is what's going on in the book club um, and some of the discipleship stuff we've been working on. But... Coming up, what is the next book club? Yeah, well, the next book club isn't really a book club. It's going to be just more like a course, um, really a workshop of sorts, and that's going to begin theoretically on March 9th, you know, assuming that David ends on time, um, which if he doesn't, it's not a big deal. You know, yeah. it's not grounds for church discipline or anything like that. Oh, shoo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the idea with that workshop is we're going to spend at least one or two weeks unpacking um, you know, why the books that are in our Bible are in our Bible, how we got them. Um, I think I think our elder Steve is also going to unpack a little bit about how we got our English translations um, and kind of the history of that, which is pretty fascinating. And then I'm going to spend a few weeks working through these big workshop ideas of how do you interpret the Bible, um, which is going to be, you know, looking for things like patterns of repeated words and structure and genre and through this lens, this big picture lens of observation, interpretation, and application, which is basically, what does the text say? What did it mean to the original audience? And what does it mean for us living in not the original audience? Um, and so we're going to, it's, it's um, the basics of biblical hermeneutics. And so the way we're going to do it is we're going to teach a section of biblical interpretation, and then we're going to do a workshop, you know, so we'll well, for example, we'll teach something, and then we'll look at Jeremiah 29, or we'll teach something, and then look at 1 Corinthians 13. Some of these passages, which we tend to look at as isolated texts, but then when you when you kind of like zoom out um, on your phone, so to say, then you realize that there's, oh, there's this context which shapes the way that we read these passages and these texts. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. That begins March 9th, and you should sign up for that if you're interested. I think we have 16 or 17 people signed up. Nice. But because it's a workshop, it should be fine because we'll do like a bit of a, a a bit of a teaching and then we'll break up into groups where we'll work through stuff and, and then come together. And one of the fun things about breaking into groups that we did in discipleship group, uh, discipleship book club, is we rotate the groups every week. So, so you, you can't may... just keep trying to get a group with Steve to get the answers. <laughs> yes. So we are going to uh, shift over into looking out. And just take a quick break, but um, Bill actually requested if he could do the musical uh, interlude um, for this part. So, Bill, can you uh, play us out? All right, welcome back to the looking out section. We are going to talk about, you know, we talk about connecting to God, which is, you know, going deeper in Scripture and and prayer and, and connecting to God's uh, family, which is our 
discipleship uh, relationships in our church and our, um, you know, just the inward focus of the church. And now we're going to talk about how we engage in God's mission, uh, engaging with the lost, engaging with those in need, and uh, sharing the gospel. So this week, Bill went and to, well, tell us where you went, Bill. Where did you go? Uh, well, you know, before I before I do that, I do want to preface everything we're going to say in this section with, like, we realize Revolve is um, a little bit of a weird church when it comes to this kind of stuff, because most churches um, centralize their outreach. In other words, most churches say, we're doing this thing on this day, you should all come, or you should invite your friends. And our perspective at Revolve, coming from the mission field, um, when we planted um, our perspective was to train our people to think and act like missionaries. And I don't know if we've done that, but I think that we've made steps in that direction, and so I'm not discouraged by it. And so a lot of this uh, looking out, the outreach um, type stuff has been difficult to communicate because so, so much of it is personal. And so it's like if David doesn't tell me what's going on, I don't know. And so one of the things that we get to do today is to share a couple really cool things that God's doing. And um, at least one of them you can take part in in the future, and for the others you can pray. And I know that that might not seem super exciting, but um, you know, prayer is the work of the ministry, as we see in Acts chapter 6. And so we want to make sure that we don't uh, undervalue that. So anyway, so yeah, this Saturday, we, a group of us, it was actually three families, went over to the Cape May Courthouse First United Methodist Church, which is right there on Route 9. And I think it's the second Sunday, second Saturday, third Saturday. Uh, you're, I mean, you're telling the story, Bill. Well, my story's go. got lots of holes in it, David. Um, let me look at the calendar real quick. So this last Saturday was the third Saturday of the month. And every third Saturday of the month, the Courthouse Methodist Church hosts a food pantry. But the food pantry... Like, they do a really impressive job. It's like a well-oiled machine. Um, it's not just a food pantry. It has uh, gospel-centered counseling. It has um, a thrift store where everything on the third Saturday is free. It has opportunities for kids to do a craft, these kinds of things. So basically the way it works is you come in and you are assigned a number, and then you go through, and if it's your first time there, they have like a newcomer packet they have to fill out and these kinds of ideas. And... Then that you as you once you start coming, then you get a folder assigned to you, and then that folder goes to like in a system where they have people who have been coming since 2012, and they know these the same people. Um, they're building a relationship with them, and so there's a couple things that happen. Um, they get a piece of paper where they can mark off some groceries that they want, and they can get a breakfast sandwich. They can get a cup of coffee. They can fill up a grab bag of miscellaneous things that like aren't technical food pantry items, but they were donated like ramen or something like that. And, um, and then while all that is happening, while they're waiting for their food bag to be filled, which has uh, um, the, the, the standard food pantry things, they come and they sit down with a counselor and what that, that, so that we had some people helping with distribution of food, organizing, I was helping with the counseling and so what that looks like is the person sat down with us. We just spent a couple minutes chit-chatting, um, you know, asking them who they are, you know, what's their, a little bit of their story, what brings them in today, just the same way you would make um, conversation with anybody. 
And then um, we would take that to the next spiritual level, kind of like thinking about like the conversation quadrants, going from casual to meaningful, meaningful to spiritual, spiritual to gospel-centered. And so during that time, we had lots of opportunities to pray with people for needs that are going on. Um, we were able to share the gospel with at least um, two women and, and just encourage them. And, and because there's an ongoing rapport being built there, an ongoing relationship, it's nice because you, you, people know that you're not treating them like a project. You're treating them like they're made in the image of God. And so it was really a privilege to be there, and the, the Methodist Church does a great job of organizing it. And so they did say to us that they are in need of counselors, um, and don't be scared off by that word. That's just the word that they talk, if, or the word they use. If you went through the hub, um, basically it's making spiritual statements and being able to pray with people and encouraging people to read the Bible, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, keep that on your mind because there's ample opportunities to help. And as we gear up for March, we'll make sure that we have a sign-up sheet so we can give them a heads up how many people are coming. And what I think is cool about what you said was you went as a family, and then mm -hmm. you went with other families as well, correct? Yeah. yeah, so I mean, my kids are five years old and nine, and they both went, and they were really excited. They've gone, this is the third month in a row my kids have gone. This was the first month I could go, but Gina brought the girls last couple months, and um, this time they were able to um, organize, like, you know, there's like, these are cans of beans, the kids, I like, put all the cans of beans in one place and help organizing, stuff like that. And then after that was done, my kids went up to the thrift store and, quote, helped, which I think actually meant that they, Emma said they did a fashion show. Mm. And then um, I don't know who probably, it was for. That would be what I would do. Yeah, well, I, I, I guessed that. Plus size model. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then after that, they went down and they actually had like a folding table set up with a little craft, like a Valentine's Day craft where they made like cool. a butterfly with a lollipop. And... Um, and they did crafts with some of the kids who were there from the families. And so that was pretty cool because then the kids get to feel like they're participating. And, you know, we always talk about family on mission and how it can be hard because you want to teach these values to your kids. But it's, there's not like your kids can't go to work with you all the time and see you trying to share with your coworker. But this is a really tangible way. And I'll tell you what, my kids love it. I mean, they really love it. Um, Emma said it reminds her of serving at the tea house in Greece, and she just really enjoyed that when we were in Greece. And so, yeah, they were excited about it, eager to go back. Yeah, so I would uh, challenge you that if this, you know, if you're not able to make this uh, particular uh, outreach or event... It's only once a month, you know? Yeah, but you can look at this week, you can be looking through, uh, you know, kind of those circles of influence that Bill talked about earlier, um, you know, people that you work with, people that are in the same hobbies as you, people where you, uh, you know, go to school, uh, people in your family that you could, as a family, uh, make a meal for or mm. bless or something like that. So uh, it doesn't have to be, and this is what we, you know, we always want to drive home. It doesn't always have to be an organized thing that the church or someone else is doing just as a family, Yeah, you know, uh, show the love of Jesus in a practical way. I mean, you think about it this way. This is just an easy example. You know, we give, you know, as kids get older, they stop playing with certain toys, and it's easy to just throw those toys in a box and then drop them off at the ark, um, which is fine. But if you have another family in your community whose kids are a few years younger than yours, 
you know, then you can call that family up and it's an opportunity to ask them if they want them, to build a relationship with them, and to, you know, just build a friendship and, and also be a blessing. And so I think we need to think outside, the, and that's discipleship. Going back to our middle section on, on discipleship, I mean, that is discipleship because I'm modeling freely I receive, freely I give to another, except in the case of toys. This cost me a lot of money, and now I'm giving it to you because <laughs> my kids don't play with it anymore. Yes, and uh, and and I think a, another thing you wanna you wanna do within that is use us at that action as a way to make a spiritual statement, and it can be something as simple as Jesus loves Legos. I was so gonna say Lego. I was gonna say to you, Jesus says, "Love your neighbor." I'm just showing you love in a practical way. Well, I think they're both valid. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, we're gonna uh, on that note, we're gonna kind of wind it down, and uh, so can I just give two quick updates? I, w- I promise I won't take long. Hey, you know what, Bill? You do, yes? your, you do your thing. So um, I just want to share this with you guys. We have a contact in South Asia who's in a closed access country, who so we can't really uh, share too much about him. But he alerted us uh, maybe two weeks ago to the fact that there was a village nearby of. Of, of believers, persecuted believers, very impoverished. They make bricks for a living in their kilns, and then they live in the kilns. So it's the kilns, think of it like a, almost like a strip mall that's not being done, being built, that kind of idea. And so he told us about it, and he asked if we could help. And so we asked him, what would it cost to feed this village for a month? Um, and he said it would cost about $500, which, you know, immediately makes you feel bad because... Yeah. I mean, that's like nothing, you know what I mean, for this entire village. And so we told them, we said, look, we can't help all the time because we don't want to start something that's unsustainable, but we can help this time. And so we sent him money and, um, and he sent us like, he sent me like 70 photos and videos of distribution and it was just really powerful. And it was just a beautiful thing, how thankful that village was, you know? And so that's, you know, that's your giving. You know, I want, I don't want the church to think that you know, I don't know, I give this money, I don't know what happens to it. Like, know that you're giving fed an entire village in a persecuted church environment, um, which is pretty powerful. And then also last week had a really great opportunity to start a Zoom training with some um, leaders who are overseas, and it just was the culmination of multiple years of prayer, um, of training. We got a guy who's an Arabic speaker, an Urdu speaker, a Persian speaker, and then actually I might have a fourth guy joining who's also in South Asia from um, Honduras, but he's working among Urdu speakers. And so that's um, we got to start training them, going through basically week one of the hub, and they were really excited. And so that was a great opportunity as well. And so, again, these are really exciting things. Keep these opportunities in prayer, you know, yeah. because God is is working through our little church. You know, even though we don't get to see it on the ground all the time, which we'd love to, but we can because of various reasons, it's still exciting to be a part of it in small ways. And one of the guys who you are coaching is connected to this village, correct? Yes. So there's kind of there an opportunity maybe for ongoing connection with that. Yep. One of the guys who is in my Zoom training is the guy who told me about this village. And that's a really... I'm really excited about that opportunity because in this part of the world, there's... It's mostly traditional church efforts being used to reach unreached people groups, which isn't very effective. And so by training in some alternative um, ways, 
then we get some cool opportunities. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Bill. Um, we are winding down uh, this time together. So let's, uh, Bill, can you just give us uh, a couple action steps that we can do the rest of this week as sure. we get ready for Sunday? Well, step one would be read Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 9 and 10. That will prepare you for Sunday message, and you'll get more out of Sunday if you read that. That's Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 9 and 10. Second thing is if you want to sign up for that hermeneutics workshop, um, you can sign up on Sunday, and there'll be a clipboard over by where we preach. Um, and if you aren't going to be there Sunday, you feel free to send me a text or email us at info at revolvechurchnj.com. And so you can sign up there. Um, also, you know, David suggested a good opportunity of keeping an eye out where you live, work, learn, and play, and maybe make someone a meal or, you know, someone has a need for some clothes or, you know, maybe your coworker says their water heater broke and they can't afford it. But keep an eye out for how you can serve your neighbor and love your neighbor in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus being a key part so you're not just like here you go I'm I'm pretty good you know <laughs> help them out in the name of Christ yeah and so those just be three action steps for this week all right well we hope you enjoyed this episode one of the revolve recap and uh, we will see you on Sunday and be back here again next Wednesday so Bill I will see you later. I'm, I think I'm going to see you as soon as we hang up. Yeah, that's true. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Subscribe.